From Oxford's Bodleian Library, it's the IGN DigiGods. Please welcome the two new owners of a used Jaguar Mark II, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. Outstanding intro. Corey, which one of our intrepid listeners sent that one in? That was brought to you by Clark Aldrich. Clark, I like that you make them share. <laughs> All right. Okay, Mark. What's oh, Corey, you're such a trickster. He's clever and cute. Don't you just sometimes wish Corey were actually in the room so we could grab his cheeks and just... Which pinch, cheeks pinch. are you referring to? Well, obviously... There's you, one in the Southern Hemisphere and one in the Northern Hemisphere. Obviously, you went there because you're thinking about the other one. So oh, I I'll, go there, snap. Let you, let Ooh, you. guess what movie I Netflixed. What movie? I don't know. I, 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 I'm going to... Let's, 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 play, let's play 10 questions. Uh, okay, 10 questions. Sure. We're okay. Actually, okay, we're going to play 10 questions. Okay. This, by the way, this is great internet radio, yeah. playing 10 questions. <laughs> this is, so just go ahead and skip to about okay. four minutes in, and then you'll get the rest okay. of the podcast. So, uh, 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 um, it, is it, does it have a name in the title? Yes, it does. Is it the name of a, uh, is it the name of a man? It is not. Is it the name of a woman? It is not. Is it the name... Oh, wow. Uh, uh, is it the name of a place? Um, it is a name of a metaphorical place. Ooh, is it a, is it science fiction? It is not. Is it comedy? It is not. I have four more questions. <laughs> uh, is it drama? Yes. Is it from last year? No. Is it? Is uh, it? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll even give you a hint because we're running okay, out of time. Yeah. yeah. It was from last year. I'm not good at this, in case you've never noticed. It was from last year, assuming this year is 1958. If this was 1958, it would be from last year. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm screwed. I, I'm not, I, I don't know 1958 well enough. Throne of Blood. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, of course. Sure, I would have gotten that one. <laughs> Whatever. I think what I should have done is I should have, I should have uh, given you the initials of the director. And then maybe, although AK would have been too. Well, yeah, AK, you know. That, uh, my, who my, else my, would that have been? It could have been Andy Klein. <laughs> exactly. Okay. By the way, Throne of Blood's so good. It's pretty it's great. It's really great. It's pretty great. You know what? Obviously, it's, it's Kurosawa's take on Hamlet. Yeah. But I, I didn't expect, because it's been so long since I've seen it. I'm going to assume I've never seen it. I didn't expect the Lady Macbeth character to actually be washing her hands to take out that damn spot. It's pretty but great. But she does that. You know what I've been watching all week? Uh, your daughter? Uh, well, well, yes, but I, what I've been watching because she's been watching, uh, she has graduated. She hasn't given up Peppa Pig, but she's graduated from Peppa Pig to something else that is also animated, also British, and features music by the same composer. I don't know who composed the music for Peppa Pig. It's the same guy who wrote uh, Star Wars? the music for A Walrus and Domit. Walrus and Domit. Walrus and Domit. Not not uh, Wallace and Gromit. Well, that's how she says it. She oh. says she, she she wants to watch a more Walrus and Domit. Wow, we are just losing viewers. <laughs> I mean, losing listeners. Let me try that again. Yeah. We're losing listeners by the moment. Uh, they're viewers. Exactly. Where are they? Where are they hiding? Duh. So anyway, uh, yeah. Well, let's 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 get moving. We can, we can start with television, or we can start with classic movies. Start with television. Start with television. All right. Rock and roll. Um, we've got some classic TV, tons of classic TV that's suddenly uh, just blowing out all over the place. The, uh, the Jefferson, season seven, out in a single set from Shout Factory. 
you know, by the time you get to season seven of the Jeffersons, here, this is this is what's interesting. There really is. Uh, I, I know we we sort of look at decades as being ar- these arbitrary things. You know, like like the sixties kind of overlap into the seventies, and the seventies overlap into the into the eighties, and the eighties kind of linger a little bit in the seventies. I know we they, they aren't perfect dividing lines, but when it comes to television shows that have a certain um, pop culture profile. They really do seem to run out of steam when the culture leaves the show behind, and when the show starts to try to keep up with the pop culture change, it's just it it doesn't really work. Uh, once 1980 came around, the Jeffersons kind of doesn't work anymore, and you get things like this. You get like this Hawaiian vacation, which just is is a very strange format breaking way of trying to you know reinvigorate the show. And it went on for four episodes, and it's it's really not very good. Um, and then you get Florence's new job, which is supposed to you know be part of the spinoff at the end of the show as Florence leaves. And it, you really there's a, it's kind of a sad season. Everything feels like it's on you know borrowed time, and uh, it's you know seven years is a long time for a, any sitcom to hang around. Very few have gone the distance, you know, like Cheers and Frasier and. Some of the, and you know, obviously Seinfeld. Uh, so you know, you feel like the Jeffersons have seen better times when you get to season seven. Nonetheless, um, it does have that four-part Hawaii episode, and that is kind of a legendary television moment, for better or for worse. Wade uh, from AMC, we have a uh, little show they got called Halt and Catch Fire, which has not really um, caught the uh, public's imagination, but it's a pretty good show. It's uh, lively, fast-paced. It's uh, it's got a great visual style. It's all about these. Uh, young kids they're not kids but these uh young men and women from the 1980s who were trying to build the very first pc and sort of launch the pc revolution uh, lee pace is in it scoot mcnary's in it a couple people you might have heard of and uh this has already been picked up for a second season by amc but um i kind of like this show it's um it's again it's got a lot of style it's uh you know there's a lot of drama to it even though it's just a bunch of people sitting around building computers you don't have to be a geek to like it uh, so it's a sort of show that is really kind of under the radar. Um, you know, it's not quite like Game of Thrones. People don't talk about it the week after. Well, what happened on Halt and Catch Fire? You never have those conversations no. on the water cooler. No. But uh, it's a good show. You should check it out, especially if you're into um, the early days of the PC revolution. And more classic television here. I got a trio to uh, blow through real quickly. Mama's favorite season five. This is uh, Mama's family. Uh, the that show was lame. I watched that show. It was lame. <laughs> it's I mean, I who, still, who are we thinking? I, mean, I still I, what, enjoy what, what it. What are we thinking of? I still enjoy it. No, anyway, no. these are these are six popular episodes from season five. Uh, this is this is stuff that is just strictly for people who just want to rent something or have something sitting around that's modestly funny and they don't want to have to dig through the whole series, the whole season or the whole series to get to it. Of course, we've talked about this in the past. The complete seasons are out. The complete series is out. Uh, but the episodes here: the really loud family, Naomi's new position, found money, Mama's layaway plan, Mama in one Dependence Day. Uh, it gives you a taste of the show. It's it's perfectly acceptable. So uh, you know there aren't any ringers in there. They're all funny. Uh, Sergeant Bilko, the Phil Silvers show, the second season. This, of course, is uh, the, the whole series is out if you want to get it. But season two actually is a lot better than season one uh, for those who, who who care. It's hit its stride. The characters are fleshed out. Uh, Phil Silvers, you know, people are hitting their marks a lot better. And Phil Silvers is just one of the great comic geniuses of all time. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, this certainly should be on uh, on any classic 50s, 60s era television fans list. And then one of my all-time favorites, Square Pegs, the complete series. 
With uh, not, not Jamie Gertz, the other one. Sarah Jessica Parker. Sarah Jessica Parker. Well, Jamie Gertz is in this too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like Jamie Gertz. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, this is the show that Sarah Jessica Parker broke out on. There were only about, you know, a, a handful of episodes. So there are only like seven episodes total. Uh, Was, wasn't Mer- actually, actually eight episodes. Sorry, wasn't Merritt Buttrick in this? Yeah, he sure was. He played who played right uh, Kirk's son in yeah, uh, Star Trek Two. Little, little braid had the little braid. Damn his right, he's a totally cool, weird, kind of weird, freaky guy. Totally, totally. He says totally, totally through the whole thing. Uh, no, Jamie Gertz, uh, Merritt Buttrick, uh, John Femia, Amy Linker, Je- uh, Sarah Jessica Parker. I mean, a lot of fun. I totally related to this because I was in high school at the time, and this was essentially my high school experience. Except I wasn't the least bit interested in being popular, just being a square peg. And we were, we were square pegs. Aww. I admit it. So I love this show. Uh, it didn't last at all, but it became a cult, kind of you know, a cult thing. And uh, this was totally my experience, man. It just takes me right back. Tracy Nelson, by the way, too of the uh, of the Nelson clan, Ricky Nelson's daughter. Whoa! Yeah, Whoa. You know, whose, whose brothers? Whose brothers were Nelson? Steve Nelson? For, no, were Nelson. Remember for a moment and a half with the long blonde hair? Nellie Nelson. The twins? No. You don't remember that? No. Oh my! Gosh. I don't. You were a square peg too, weren't you? I was. Yeah. I was a nerd. I had no friends in high school. I mean, I like three friends. I was a nerd. And by the way, you know what? It really makes me angry because, like, nowadays, like, when nerds rule the world, and yeah. like, when, when we were growing up, being a nerd got you beaten up. Yep. If you if if you liked uh, Star Trek and uh, Doctor Who and uh, Dungeons and Dragons, it's you got tr- beaten up. Right. It's true. Now the now it's hip. <laughs> now we rule the world. It's ridiculous. <laughs> now you have an entire uh, uh, sitcom, Big Bang Theory, really just based on how you know. Cool it is like, to be a nerd. I feel like I feel like I'm the guy who was trying to explain to everybody the glories of the internal combustion engine in like 1750. I know. It, it just... We're men born out of time, Wade. Yeah. Masters of Sex uh, season two. Um, I thought this show got off to a great start. This, of course, is the story of Masters and Johnson, the uh, the, the sex. Uh, the who did the whole wor- sex yeah. workers? Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, the sex the, the scientists. Sur- the survey, the survey, the studies. <laughs> the, the... What word am I looking for? The sex, you know, researchers. Researchers, wow. yeah. Wow. It took a while. The word researchers somehow took a while to get out of my mouth. That's okay. It's a big word. It is. It's five syllables. Uh, the thing with season two is that, I, you know what? I, it's three <laughs> I syllables. Know. Oh, that part I know. Okay. Just kidding. Uh, season one I liked a lot. Uh, Michael Sheen, Lizzie Kaplan, great. Pretty funny, very steamy sex scenes, interesting topic. Season two, I kind of feel like, you know, they're throwing in, you know, the civil rights movement, the sexual revolution. It, it, it feels like it's not really historically accurate anymore. Now they're just trying to, like, bring in these big ideas just to keep the stories flowing. You know, like, like, to, me, like to me, the whole story was Kinsey. Mm-hmm. Bill Condon's Kinsey got the whole thing out there yeah, in did. two hours. I'm I happy. Agree. Now I feel like they're just sort of like stretching for, oh, let's bring in the sexual revolution. Come have some stories about that. Like it feels less uh, historically accurate yeah. at this point. But uh, still a good show. By the way, um, the, thing with, uh, the thing you need to know about uh, Michael Sheen, that guy, he dates some hot girls. Does he really? It's because it's he's Welsh. They feel sorry for him. No, you, you realize who Michael Sheen's been uh, been dating over the no, years. You no, don't? No. Wade, I'm going to uh, I'm going to blow your mind. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Um, here's the thing with Michael Sheen. Okay. Michael Sheen, um, eight year relationship with Kate Beckinsale. Seriously? Yes. That, does that go back to the? No, I couldn't. Yes. Because, uh, so, but, but, but before she married, uh, what's his name? Well, they but they were all doing the whole deal with the underworld thing together. Did, that must have been awkward. It was uh, mid. Well, no, this, this was like the mid '90s. They were going out. Well, so so they were. They'd been broke. So wait, when she's making Underworld, 
Her husband is directing her opposite her ex? Yes. That's kind of tweaked. Um, okay, Rachel McAdams. Really? For about three years. Seriously? No, th- d- dude, Michael Sheen, that guy gets it on. <laughs> you don't even know that guy. By the way, he's currently dating Sarah Silverman. Okay, that makes no sense at all. <laughs> he, that, no, Sheen gets it on. Yeah, but Sarah Silverman, that doesn't, that doesn't, get, well. Okay, okay Kate Beckinsale. Okay, Rachel McAdams. Yes, How about that? for sure, but, but to go, uh, well, whatever. <laughs> okay, I guess. Okay, so uh, the TV Guide ten episodes uh, line. It's the TV Guide Spotlight. TV Guide Spotlight with these, you know, potpourri episode collections. Uh, this is fun for people that just don't. They don't want to have to get buy entire sets and entire entire series and entire seasons. They just want a little sampling of stuff just to throw on, so it feels like old time television. Uh, like somebody's programming you know, a day's worth of TV for you. So we got a bunch of those. TV's Greatest Moms. Uh, which has 10 episodes from Ozzie and Harriet, Maude, Good Times, The Lucy Show, Petticoat Junction, Cosby Show, Married with Children, Bewitched, Partridge Family, and Roseanne. Uh, TV's Greatest Dads, of course. You get Married with Children, The Andy Griffith Show, Dick Van Dyke, Roseanne, Cosby Show, Bonanza, Ozzie and Harriet, Third Rock, 70s Show, Different Strokes. And uh, Greatest Kids Stars, a lot of the same stuff. Cosby Show, Different Strokes, Married with Children, Partridge Family, Roseanne, The Nanny, Third Rock, 70s Show, Facts of Life, What's Happening. And then the last one, uh, TV's Greatest Very Special Episodes. This one I actually like a lot better because these are not just sort of randomly chosen. They actually went to – they actually picked a number of really – really important episodes from all these different shows. Um, Facts of Life, Maud, Good Times, Cosby Show, Roseanne, Jefferson's What's Happening, Party of Five, 70s Show, and Different Strokes. And a lot of these are, two, uh, are, uh, are uh, two-part episodes, like uh, Maud and What's Happening and Different Strokes. And uh, all of these are, this is the one, if you want one that really gives you a great sampling of the, the different eras that these shows aired in, and, and really some of these are pretty serious episodes, I, and they deal with things like drugs and whatnot and pregnancy definitely uh, check this one out this one's good so anyway this is a it's a fun line the TV Guide Spotlight Collection always a little collection of 10 episodes on uh, interesting themes and, and commonalities from classic TV shows all of this from Mill Creek Oh, wait, there's a show from New Zealand called The Almighty Johnsons, uh, which um, I doubt you've heard of. Now, I, you know what? I, I, I look at the title of this show and I laugh because I just think, is that – I mean, I know it's not an American show, but is it a – is that – does that pun – is that as intentional over there as it, it comes across here? No, it does not. Because uh, that's kind of no, funny, I, American I, vernacular. I, it is. I was not really – I think I thought this thing was pretty silly. Uh, it's about this uh, guy named Axel Johnson. Uh, uh, well, in, in the season one. Yeah. Axel Johnson, 21st birthday, he learns that he is the reincarnation of uh, the Norse god Odin. And his entire family are all reincarnations of Norse gods. So it's, it's, it's the brothers and their, their grandfather and their, you know, how do they get on in public now that they're Norse gods and what kind of powers do they have, if mm-hmm. any, how do they harness them. This thing lasted for a few seasons in New Zealand. I don't get it. I, I, just, it's, I just don't find it that interesting. Um, it's just weird. They live in New Zealand and they're Norse gods. Yeah. So? <laughs> How random. Well, it's, it's Middle Earth. I mean, there's a connection somewhere there, right? Isn't there? Kind of? Yeah. I mean, there's some, there's some decent uh, New Zealand TV sex in it. I mean, probably more than you would get on a network sure. show. Sure. So if you like uh, New Zealand sex, you can get some pretty steamy stuff in that show. If you like your USA TV, we got two more USA shows on uh, regular <laughs> seasons. Covert Affairs Season 5 and Suits Season 4. 
Uh, Covert Affairs, of course, has ended, so this is the final season. This is not plugging the new season like these things often do. Uh, this is the end of Covert Affairs, and uh, just as uh, just as well. What a shame! By the way, speaking of, have you watched American Odyssey? No. You haven't watched American Odyssey no. Sunday nights. You should. No, it's good you know show. what? Here's, okay, here's my thing. What? I don't like I don't like TV shows, right? Or movies, but right. especially TV shows that have the word American in their title. Okay, fine. I'll tell you why. Because you call like American Odyssey or American Crime or American Sniper, right? Like suddenly, because it's got American in the title, it. It's like actually a grand statement on the Republic of America. It's not just a sniper. It's an American sniper. Okay. It's not fine. just an odyssey. Yeah, right. It's an American odyssey. You should watch it's, it. It's a statement on we have America today. Friends of ours are involved. Well, friends of mine are involved. That's why you, Otherwise, you wouldn't watch it. Well, I'm, I'm Otherwise, I'm, you wouldn't like it. No, I, it's a good show, but I am rooting for it because, you know, it's a friend of ours is, a, is one of the editors, and, and, you know, Sherm has a, has a part on it. Does he? Yeah. Oh, good friend. You know Sherm. I, I, know Sherm. I don't know him, like, personally, but I've seen his yeah. work. He's very talented. He rocks. Yep. He's a man. So, anyway, uh, there's Covert, Covert Affairs, deleted scenes and uh, gag reel and whatnot, and Suits also has deleted scenes and gag reel, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's the latest uh, lawyery show. It might even be the last lawyery show, isn't it? Is this the last show about lawyers on the air? Uh, I think it is now, ever since that. There will never be a last lawyer show on the air. I think for right now, this is the only one. This may be the only one, because that, that bash and whatever it was. Oh, bash, Franklin bash. That's done. That got canned. Correct. So, Correct. I think this is the last lawyer show for the, at the moment. That's so. impossible. Oh, well, whatever. Okay, Chappie. Okay, it's possible. Anyway, so those are out there. And then The Mentalist, uh, also its seventh and final season. So How did that thing go seven seasons? I don't know. You know what? Because, look, he's just breathtakingly handsome. No, I mean, he's handsome, but he's not breathtakingly no, he, handsome. Dude, I've shopped next to him at Whole Foods. He's breathtakingly <laughs> handsome. He is. You just look at him and you just go, dude, you, how, what, is it with the, what is it with Australian men? What's in the water down there? Like, is there is there anyone in Australia who is just even remotely like not unbelievably gorgeous other than Ben Mendelsohn? Like Ben Mendelsohn scares me, but he seems to be like the only kind of hideous person in Australia. Okay, right now I'm doing a Google search and on he just fat play, Australians. And he just plays hideous people. Okay, this this okay, yeah, wait, but even this, fat Australians. There's, this there's, person is Australian. <laughs> thank you. No, even, <laughs> even what's her name from Pitch Perfect, right? You know, she's, Rebel Wilson. Rebel Wilson. She's like she's 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 kind of you know she's not attractive, but she's still hot, and you know just because she thinks she is. Oh, whatever. That's funny. That's somebody else who's there a fat Australian. Go. So anyway, there's that. Uh, so the Mentalist, yeah, that's winding it down as well. There's a new feature out on here. Uh, Patrick Jane, an uncommon man. And a bunch of unaired scenes, but otherwise it, it wraps it up quite nicely. Hey, you ready? Here's brings, here's brings a it to a close. Here we go. Uh, this is from an Australian uh, uh, publication. Aussie blokes are fat, sad, and in denial. <laughs> says a survey. Okay. A new survey well. comparing results from 12 countries finds that on average Australians would admit to being fat. <laughs> 60, well, 60 percent of Australians are overweight or obese. But only thirty percent realize they are. Okay. Okay. Now, okay. Would you like to take? I'd like to walk back your statement that they're all hot. <laughs> the one, the ones in movies are. Well, that's a different story. Yeah. Okay. And then I got three here from Warner Brothers. Uh, Squidbillies, Volume Six. For the life of me, it's I still on. It is. Isn't that amazing? Squidbillies, freaking Adult Swim madness. And then uh, also from Adult Swim. Uh, 12, sep- 12 episodes of the... That's funny. Come on. Look at that title. It's funny. It's, it's a f- you know, it's, it, 
it's a, it's funny, but it's kind of annoying. It's the uh, it's making fun, obviously, of all the uh, you know the the CSI and and all of the uh, the acronym titles. This is uh, NTSF SD SUV, which <laughs> stands for the National Terrorism Strike Force San Diego Sport Utility Vehicle. Uh, you just can't tell somebody, hey, did you see NTSF SD SUV? It's not it doesn't roll off the tongue. You can't sort of tell your friends to watch it. No, you say, hey man, did did, did you see a uh, SUV? Yeah, you you would just say, did you watch SUV? SUV makes it is the only way to refer to this. Anyway, uh, these are guys who try to protect San Diego from terrorist threats that come from places that just don't have terrorists. It really, it really is. It is. It is funny. Um, I, it, this is like, one of the first Adult Swim things that I, I kind of sort of get. And uh, so anyway, that's season one. I think that thing's gonna if they can keep this going, they're gonna it's gonna run for a while. Uh, and third season of Heart of Dixie, which uh, never made any sense, but clearly this has some kind of a following. And I guess it's just because Rachel Bilson has a following. So uh, that there is the third season. And uh, Mark, what's that? Uh, Physics of Light is a six-part documentary. This is uh, from PBS. It was. Uh, it's not quite as good as like one of the Neil deGrasse Titan Cosmosy things, um, but still, if you want to, if you want to have you know terms like uh, you know quantum physics, theory of relativity, you know string theory, if you want those defined, you find them uh, confusing. I have to say that this uh, documentary does a pretty good job of explaining it. Um, again, six parts, PBS, you know it's good, Physics of Light. You know, this information is available anywhere. On You can go to YouTube and look up a bunch of videos and, and get the same information. So I don't know that this gives you anything that you can't get somewhere else. But, um, you know, I guess if you're not familiar with it or you're, or you're really familiar with the topic and you want to get another angle on it, Physics of Light. Sweet. Um, okay, the uh, got some DVD-R manufacturer on demand, otherwise known as MOD titles here. And before I forget, uh, please send us Vox boxes and emails to gods at digigods.com, gods at digigods.com, and join the Facebook page and participate. Lots of great discussions there. Um, a lot of really interesting audio commentaries, by the way, from our listener Satoshi, who's been, been going and just doing a bunch of audio commentaries on spec, which kind of blows my mind because I, you know, that's a lot of work. So, um, you know, there's, there's great stuff that goes up. Uh, really is. Uh, you know, we got we got listeners who have their own uh, their own you know podcasts and uh, their own their own review pages, and uh, it's good. They're doing reviews on Vimeo and on uh, on uh, YouTube and whatnot. It's so it's a wonderful community that we have. Um, so here's some of the uh, here's some of the MOD stuff this week from the Warner Archive collection. Frederick March and Martha Scott in One Foot in Heaven. Uh, this is really, really a sweet and in, it, just a great kind of lost gem. Uh, the great thing about Warner Archive is that they really mine this stuff. They, they go into the, the archive and they find the stuff that has just kind of gotten passed over or looked over for whatever reasons. This is from 1941, a, an amazing year, by the way. 1941 is a year of How Green Was My Valley, of Citizen Kane. I mean, it's one of those legendary years, just two years after the other legendary year. And so it's understandable that really great movies in that year get unfortunately overlooked. And this one was even nominated for Best Picture. But, you know, you were getting 10 films nominated for Best Picture in those years. And when you have lots of great movies, you, you people overlook some of these. So this is, just a, uh, this is just a really, really sweet film. Uh, family drama um, about a, uh, a Methodist minister 
who um, played by Frederick March, uh, an ama- who's always an amazing actor, uh, who uh, tries to basically keep his son on the straight and narrow. And uh, it is, it's a really good script. It's really, really well directed by Irving Rapper, another guy from the era who just doesn't get enough credit, and has a, a lovely score by Max Steiner. So, uh, you know, really just a, a, terrific, a terrific movie from the era, One Foot in Heaven. Uh, Anthony Adverse, also with Frederick March and the great Olivia de Havilland, is one of the great films of the era, just period. Anthony Adverse, if you're not familiar... Uh, is one of these great classic opulent period uh, stories. Uh, it's it's a you know it's a legendary novel and it's a legendary story and it's one of those uh, you know one of those uh, rags to riches almost les misérables type things about a guy who's got to you know uh, try to get his the, his rightful inheritance even though he was born a you know a, a b a s t a r d. Uh, are you are you spelling in the b a yes. Oh, you could say that. Yeah, I know. But I'm, try- I'm trying to, you know, keep it clean. These are classic movies. I'm trying to honor them. Anyway, Mervyn Leroy, one of the great directors of the era, uh, does a fantastic job. Uh, great cast. Uh, in addition to Frederick March and Olivia de Havilland, uh, Edmund Gwen, Claude Rains, Lewis Hayward. Uh, just, I mean, you know, these are, these are not slouchy people. So uh, Frederick March, always worthy, and uh, Anthony Adverse, an absolutely fantastic uh, film based on the book by Hervey Allen. Uh, also, we uh, have The Adventures of Mark Twain, also with Frederick March, who uh, cuts a much better Mark Twain than uh, Val Kilmer, I have to say that. Uh, this is, uh, also has a great score by Max Steiner. And uh, is just a generally wonderful, wonderful film produced by Jesse Lasky and uh, Jack Warner, uh, also directed by Irving Rapper. Um, you know, these uh, just classic, classic stuff. Uh, from the uh, 20th Century Fox Cinema Archives, who also, that is their MOD uh, manufacturer on demand line, we have uh, Ronald Maxwell's Kid Co. Now, Ronald Maxwell is the guy who more recently has become known for doing all those big, epic uh, Civil War uh, films, Gettysburg and uh, Gods and Generals and all that. Uh, Ronald Maxwell, uh, back in the 1980s, made Kid Co., which is not a Civil War movie. This is just about a, an entrepreneurial little capitalistic kid uh, on a ranch in Southern California who decides to basically become uh, a businessman. And uh, it, it creates problems, shall we say. It's almost, it almost feels like a Disney film from the 70s, but it's not, and it's cute, and it's clever. And then uh, lastly from the uh, Fox Cinema Archives is the immortal Steve Gutenberg, the one and only, along with Alan Arkin and Julie Haggerty, in uh, Bad Medicine, which was directed by Harvey Miller, who has gone on to do absolutely nothing. Now, this is based on a novel as well called Calling Dr. Horowitz, which I've never heard of. And uh, I, I can't imagine I ever would have. But it's the the idea of Steve Gutenberg playing a doctor is already such a stretch. But uh, in this this pushes the whole thing into this weird little kind of comedic farce realm that is not terribly funny, I have to say, uh, because he winds up going to study medicine in in this small dictatorship, this banana republic. It doesn't really. It's it, it's like, I don't know, it's not that funny. Uh, and then we have a new MOD line that I want to make mention of. This is really great. Uh, the people at Flickr Alley who release a lot of great silent films, very judiciously, great packages from the Earth to the Moon and, and other really, really cool um, cool sets, they are now doing, uh, they now have some streaming stuff. 
so you should go and check that out at flickeralley.com. But they also are releasing an MOD line. And uh, these are mostly films from the Blackhawk Films collection that were previously released through Image uh, years and years and years ago. And uh, David Shepard, the, the, the great archivist and historian who, who uh, runs the Blackhawk Films collection, originally kind of oversaw all of this stuff through Image. Image lost the licenses. They all expired, and those have all since gone out of print. And people who want to get some of those things, they include like a lot of Lillian Gish stuff and uh, a lot of uh, D.W. Griffith stuff. Uh, they can now start to see it again. And one of those, we'll be talking about others, obviously, going forward, but one of those is uh, True Heart Susie from 1919 by D.W. Griffith with Lillian Gish. And uh, this is great. Uh, this is one I, you know, I, I had a lot of the other stuff, and I think we may even have reviewed some of the uh, image stuff originally. But um, this one was one uh, that somehow slipped through my, uh, slipped through my radar, and uh, I was unaware of it. So... The uh, the idea here, True Heart Susie was made in 1919, and Lillian Gish plays a woman who uh, has her heart set on this guy. She makes an enormous sacrifice in order to uh, to land him, and he winds up you know, hooking up with another woman, and uh, it becomes this tragic love triangle. Really a, a, an incredibly smart and complex narrative for the era, uh, beautifully done. Uh, if you're an early film, uh, a silent film fan especially, it's this is really uh, really fascinating you know, way of looking at uh, D.W. Griffith's evolution of, of the form, because Griffith is one of those who helped invent the grammar that we have in movies today. So you you see movies sort of evolving their grammar and their rhythm and their editorial uh, their editorial techniques. It's it's wonderful to see that stuff kind of exploding. And then also as a bonus on here is Hoodoo Anne from 1916 uh, with May Marsh, and uh, also uh, made for Griffith's company. Um, but directed by Lloyd Ingram, who's another legendary director of the uh, of the era. So uh, great stuff, beautiful scores for both of them. And uh, let's look for more cool stuff from the Flicker Alley MOD line. Let's do it. Oh, am, am I up? You're up. Wade. That's my I name. Que- I have a question for you. Yes. What are you rebelling against? What am I rebelling against? What are you rebelling against? Uh, you know what? I j- whatever there is. No. Just give me a motorcycle and a hat and a leather jacket. No, you're supposed to go... What are you rebelling against? What do you got? Oh, you want me to quote the movie? Okay. Yes, I do. Okay. The Wild One. Brando. Brand- now, this was Brando at his most just smoldering and sexy and Brando-esque. And the thing is that people don't people now can't really – it's hard to wrap your head around how Brando just blew it all up. Because back then, you know, maybe you can see in a lot of the films that you may watch, maybe with your parents or maybe you're interested in old movies – a lot of the acting back then was just very sort of mannered, not very natural, right? Very forced. You, you uh, read the dialogue very quickly. You know, you think of some of the uh, the classic old like Thin Man comedies and His Girl Friday. And sure. You see how the how they read their dialogue. Brando changed it all. That guy changed it all. He did. On the waterfront, right? Blew it out of the water. Uh, wild one, same thing. Now, the thing with the wild one, where he plays a uh, this, uh, he's part of a motorcycle gang, and they uh, they invade the small town. You know, it's going to seem a little dated. You know, it's going to seem a little bit hokey. Let's face it. Some of the dialogue is going to be a little uh, corny. But at the time, it was a big, big deal. And so The Wild One is a total classic, and you got to check it out. A very young Lee Marvin's in it, and got to love that. So, uh, yeah, so check out The Wild One. This really is an iconic film. Uh, great performance from Brando, which, again, uh, you'll have to kind of get into the context of why it was so iconic and great, Brando, but still... Totally worth it. The Wild One. 
Wade, do you agree or disagree? I, I, I'm not as fond of it as everybody else is, but I recognize the historical import of it. Now, the lady from Shanghai, you know, uh, there is no greater director and no m- more tragic director in the world than Orson Welles. It's true. I mean, after Orson Welles made Lady from Shanghai, he pretty much had to disappear until he made Touch of Evil. And, and I, I should point out, um, this is the Mill Creek Blu-ray. I have been trying in vain, in vain, and I have got to try again this week to uh, uncork the previous Blu-ray release of this from the people at, uh, at Turner, because there was a previous Blu-ray last year released by Turner Classic, uh, or TCM, Turner Classic Movies, and uh, they have not been uh, very organized or cooperative, and I'm trying to get a hold of that, because that one's now out of print. This is the one that's now the, that's going to be the one on store shelves for the foreseeable future, but the TCM release had a commentary. Word has it, this one's a better transfer, but it doesn't have the commentary, so... I'm still trying to get a hold of the other one. For anybody who might email us and say, what's the difference and how do they compare, I don't know yet. So I'm still trying to, still trying to unearth the other one and, uh, and, and find that out. But I will get back to you as soon as I know. Now, this one stars Rita Hayworth and uh, Orson Welles, who, by the way, were married but estranged at the time. Yes. And so uh, it's kind of interesting. Also, it's Rita great, Hayworth. It's a great movie. I love Rita Hayworth. Such she a good movie. Rita Hayworth, who, by the way, it was kind of controversial that Rita Hayworth had chopped off her mm-hmm. beautiful, long brunette hair mm-hmm. or whatever it was. Cause I always see black and white pictures of her. Beautiful, long hair and made it all short and platinum blonde. And You know, my father, she was a student of my father's. You know that. Uh, wait, hang on. What, uh, wait, what's that? What's that sound? Is something drop on the floor? Yeah. Was, was that a name drop? It, it, it's my father. I'm going to drop his name anytime. No, she was a student of my father. My, her, fa- she was a, her father... Enrique Cancino was the dancing instructor at my father's acting school. Got it. So my father knew Rita from the time she was, you know, little Rita Cancino. Did, did, did your father sleep with Rita Hayworth? No, no. Because that would be much more impressive. No, out, of the, out, of the fi- out of the five marriages, that actually was not one of them. <laughs> that's, that's not one of them. Uh, anyway, the film is not very well released, uh, very well received upon its release, but it has since uh, gained a lot in stature. So uh, I think this film is great. Lady from Shanghai, Orson Welles. Anything Orson Welles directs is uh, worth a look, especially knowing that uh, he was sort of chased away from Hollywood for over for almost a decade so before upsetting. he made Touch of Evil. So uh, there you go, so Lady from upsetting. Shanghai. Now, the last thing I will give you, uh, Wade should not have given me this because I didn't want to watch it because I don't like the Three Stooges, and I never liked the Three Stooges. <laughs> and I don't understand. All they do is poke each other in the eye. I mean, how, how, how many times do they poke each other in the eye? We On Blu-ray, we have this Three Stooges triple feature. Uh, we have two of them. I'll give you the names just for the hell of it. Time Out for Rhythm, Rocket and the Rockies, Have Rocket Will Travel. So they all have uh, an R in the title. And then the other one is uh, Three Stooges, Triple Feature. The Three Stooges Go Around the World in a Daze. Mm-hmm. Three Stooges and Hercules and the Outlaws is coming. Yeah. And you know what they do a lot in, in these in these six little movies? They poke, poke each other in the eye. That's all they do is poke each other in the eye. Can somebody explain to me why that's funny? I don't know. But, I mean, it's, it's kind of a nice thing that Mill Creek's getting these out. I mean, finally, the, the Stooges movies. Are oh, historically, it's very important. Yeah. Totally. Oh, yeah. Because you know, we talked a few weeks ago about the Marx Brothers where I don't like the Marx Brothers. I just like Groucho. Yeah. I don't need the rest of them. So from Kino Lorber, the uh, classics line, we got a bunch more. Talked about some last week. We got a bunch more this week. John Frankenheimer's The Train is out on DVD, not Blu-ray. 
because the train is not licensed to them on Blu-ray. That also is a Twilight Time title. Wait, is that the uh, Frankenheim of the Train? Yeah. I love this movie. I know. It's a cool movie. It's a cool movie. It's a totally cool but movie. it's only on DVD. This is not the Blu-ray. Uh, the Blu-rays this week, however, are... And this is a great movie. Burt Lancaster and the Train is great. Just saying it's, it's DVD only, not Blu-ray. Uh, we also have the Mackenzie Break, The Ultimate Escape, from 1970. Back when uh, everybody was making escape movies, uh, all in the wake of uh, the Great Escape and uh, you know the and, and rescue movies, you know the Dirty Dozen and all that stuff. Uh, this is not a not a great one. It's not a bad one. It's just it's it's based on one of those knockoff novels. Uh, it's fairly well directed. Lamont Johnson, good workman like director of the era. Brian Keith, totally serviceable as a as a leading man, but this is not anything spectacular or, or legendary. Um, uh, premature burial with Ray Milland is one of Roger Corman's legendary Edgar Allan Poe films. Um, this is a kind of... Um, it's not as famous as the others, but it's probably... It's one of the better one or two. And uh, Joe Dante even talks about that on here in, uh, in this little bit called Buried Alive. And uh, you also get a Roger Corman interview and uh, trailers from Hell with Roger Corman. This is from 1962, of course, that legendary year that I love to reference of Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, we also have The Secret Invasion, uh, another one of those uh, Dirty Dozen-type knockoff deals with uh, Stuart Granger, Rafe Vallone, Mickey Rooney, Ed Burns, and Henry Silva. And I know everybody's going, Mickey Rooney? Who would send Mickey Rooney on a mission? I would. I hope he died. <laughs> anyway, it's another one. I mean, it is what it is. It's Roger Corman doing his version of The Dirty Dozen from 1964. Um, actually, not bad. Uh, again, comes with a Roger Corman interview. And uh, frankly, what I like about this movie is uh, Henry Silva. Uh, Henry Silva is great in everything that he shows up in. He just scares the daylights out of me. And I always enjoy seeing him in a movie. Um and uh, then we have Sidney Poitier. In, well, actually, I'll give you the other Ray Milland movie, as long as we're on a, on a Ray Milland thing from the, uh, the other Corman film. Uh, Ray Milland in The Man with the X-Ray Eyes, uh, another, another you know, Corman effort from 1963. Um, this one is a little cheesier. It doesn't really make any sense. But it's, uh, it works only because Ray Milland takes it all so seriously, just like... You know, all the guys in the Hammer films took those things seriously. When you have a, a really good actor who just assumes that the, the schlock around them is serious, they're going to do it. What makes this interesting is that Don Rickles is in this. And there aren't a lot of movies where Don Rickles shows up. Don Rickles' list of movies is fairly short, you know. Well, he was fairly short. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Don Rickles didn't make like 900 movies. He did not. He, he, he pops in every once in a while. He's a TV guy. He's CPO Sharky. He's a stand-up guy, exactly. But, you know, when Don Rickles is in a movie, it's worth paying attention to that movie, regardless. (laughs) Even that movie. Even this movie, which, by the way, great score by Les Baxter, the old uh, loungy band guy. And then Sidney Poitier in uh, both The Organization and They Call Me Mr. Tibbs. Uh, anything that Sidney Poitier did from this era, these are both from you know, 1970, 1971. They have been, it's interesting how they've been rated. They Call Me Mr. Tibbs is now rated R. Isn't that weird? That that was, weird. I thought that was rated like PG. At the time. At the time. It's rated R now. Maybe for language? No. Can't I, I, can't, I can't imagine. I, it's just strange, you know? I mean, it's, it's essentially the sequel to uh, In the Heat of the Night. And I see there's nothing in this that should be rated R. It's very strange, uh, especially when the organization is rated PG-13. And I think this is a much tougher film. 
Um, you know, it's the same character. This is the, the third in the series where he plays uh, Virgil Tibbs. But um, anyway, regardless, very strange. PG-13 for that one. So, uh, yeah, if you have In the Heat of the Night and you want to keep watching Virgil Tibbs do his thing, Mr. Tibbs, and, they call me Mr. Tibbs in the organization. You know, wait, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, Mahogany from 1975 is the showgirls of its day. Kind of. This is a, uh, this is a film that is mostly notable for its uh, song... Do you know where you're going to? <laughs> do you like the things that life are showing you, Wade? I have a story about that. I'm going to tell you. I'm sure you do. Um, this is uh, with Diana Ross. She plays a uh, – she's like an office worker who becomes a, a fashion model and then a designer. This is just a big, ridiculous, soapy, messy soap opera soapiness. It's uh, – watch this with like dream girls and showgirls and you'll be very happy. Otherwise, the movie's not very good. It was actually directed by Barry Gordy who, um, as, as the uh, story goes, he uh, – Tony Richardson, the original director, got fired and replaced by Barry Gordy because, you know, Barry Gordy is a very famous movie director. Yes, he is. He's – tons of movies he's directed. He's <laughs> Hasn't he though? Yes. And when we say that, we mean no movies. <laughs> this is the only one. It's the only one he ever directed <laughs> and he took over from a director who was fired. So Diana Ross is – look, Diana Ross is enchanting and gorgeous and iconic. We love Diana Ross. But uh, the movie itself is, is ridiculous. Billy Dee Williams plays uh, her love interest. Anthony Perkins is in it too. Hell it's, of a song though. It's a great song. You kidding? It's, it's, you know, it's, pe- it, people don't even remember that song is from the movie. The, so, the, yeah, yes, Wade. So here's the difference between boys and girls. So when I'm in third grade, I'm in, I'm in this like special class where we you – know, Yeah, I bet you were in a special I, yeah, class. So, well, where we were they, – they separated us into, into these um, – into, into groups, and we were going to do like – this is my first experience with filmmaking. We're doing stop motion with Super 8, right? This is like a little extracurricular deal. And uh, the boys made one film and the girls made another. So the girls made a little animated film using – do you know where you're where, – where, that song, the mahogany song, about a little girl. And it was all with like animated with uh, little cutouts, paper, two-dimensional paper cutouts, a little girl looking for her dog. And she's trying to find her lost dog. Isn't that sweet? The boys, guess what we made? Some guy being disemboweled. We we made a claymation stop motion animated short about a garbage can, that, about a garbage truck that picks up uh, some toxic waste, and then the clay in the toxic waste turns into this monster who keeps eating more toxic waste and winds up basically stepping on the city and destroying everything. Becomes a giant, disgusting, horrible monster. So what what was funny <laughs> in that to you was the fact that you had this very slow song. A little melancholy yes. over this claymation monster eating yes. the city. Yes, that's, that's brilliant. Way. I still, I still remember, it, and it was. I still remember when we actually screened the films, and we were all so proud. You know, we were like eight years old. Uh, we were so proud. Oh, look, we made a movie, and uh, I think we used the music from Jaws. Actually, was it Jaws? Would we have used Jaws? Can't remember. Anyway, might have been. Depends. Wouldn't have been if it was third grade, but anyway. Uh, so uh, it was. Uh, it was. It was good times. Good Doesn't time. sound like that's it. what that song reminds me of. Okay, last two from our classic pile. Uh, we got a, a all on Blu-ray. This is really great. Frank Sinatra five film collection on Blu-ray from Warner Brothers. Anchors away on the town. Guys and dolls. Ocean's Eleven. Robin and the Seven Hoods. Now that's pretty good. That I gotta say that's a, that's a pretty good ratio. That is a great set. You know, well, a, here's the thing. This is obviously in conjunction, not conjunction, but it's no coincidence. Yes. That HBO just did a huge documentary on Frank Sinatra. Correct. Uh, HBO, of course, owned by Warner Brothers as well. So yes, it's it's a it's a Frank Sinatra moment, and uh, it, this includes a 32 page booklet. It's a big deal. It's really a Give nice set. This. It's pretty great. 
Uh, all of those have been out previously, but it is uh, this is this is fantastic. It's uh, all in one set. There's not a ringer in the bunch. There's not a single film there where you go. Generally. Well, you know what? Okay, can I be honest with you? First of well, all, Ocean's on, Eleven on the, is crap, but you got to have it. Ocean's Eleven's pretty bad, but you got to have it. Oh, of course, you got to have it. It's Ocean's Eleven. Uh, and then we also have Goodfellas, another release of Goodfellas, which has been out both individually before on Blu-ray, and which has been part of boxed sets on Blu-ray. And this is the 25th anniversary with an all-new 1080p remaster from a 4K scan, as they say with the little sticker. Uh, this also includes, obviously, Ultraviolet. Uh, and i got to be honest with you, I, I don't see a significant Blu-ray difference between this and any of the other previous releases. I mean, yeah, in bits and places you'll go, okay, there's a little bit less edge enhancement if I'm using a microscope and I'm going right up to the edge of the... Yeah, I see there's some edge enhancement on Joe Pesci's nose. But to be honest, I don't, it's not, it doesn't significantly blow me away. I'm not like, oh my gosh, that's the double dip you've got to make this year. I, I, I kind of don't see yeah, it. Yeah, but it's got a booklet. It's got a whole sure. it's got a documentary. The it's like e- a new documentary. That's the thing. The With Scorsese. The extras are the, are the big deal here. The extras are the ones that sort of push us over the top. But if you're just looking at, looking at it for the movie, if, if you're not, you know, if the booklet doesn't mean anything, if the documentary is not, if you don't care, if you're just like, I only care about the movie, I only want to see the movie, I'm not sure I can necessarily recommend the double dip. That said, yes, Disc 2 has this brand new documentary with tons and tons of really cool stuff in it. Uh, it is a really solid documentary. It's not just a, you know, they didn't just throw this thing together. They really put some effort into it. They really wanted to make the 25th anniversary a big deal. And uh, the booklet is great. It's a, it's a really fun booklet. So, uh, you know, if that, if that matters, then by all means double dip. But otherwise, if it's just about the movie, I'm not sure I can recommend that. All right, Mark. Uh, new movie time. New movie time. New movie time. Mr. Turner is a uh, film that I thought was just terrific. And by the way, yes. you realize, and I'm sure it's intentional, uh, there is now at the Getty Center, if you're in Los Angeles or planning on visiting Los Angeles, there is right now at the Getty Center, coinciding with the release of this Blu-ray, uh, a Turner exhibit. They got some Turner paintings here in L.A., and I plan on going. It's Ted Turner, though. That's not the same. Am I, am I cheesy for only being interested in the paintings because I like the movie? No. Does that make me a like total like flake like a like an like one of those people that art people hate? It's like oh, no, no, no more than usual. Okay. See, you you would think that for the art world they would be glad that anybody takes an interest in painting. Yeah. But somehow they 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 get very uppity about it. <laughs> oh, uh, you just love it. it it's, <laughs> it's 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 like when Sideways be, made wine really hip. Yeah. And all these like old time wine guys are like oh you just saw the movie. <laughs> It's true. By the way, I was one of those guys. Yeah. I have to say that I I really did this just to meet girls. Yeah. But at the at the wine house in West LA, they used to have uh, it was like from seven p.m. to nine sure. p.m. They'd have wine and cheese, and you'd they'd have like you know whatever mm-hmm. Cabernet night or Chardonnay night, whatever it was. And I would go there and sure. troll for chicks. And then Sideways came out, and suddenly the line was out the door. I know, isn't that crazy? And I stopped going. I went oh because I was an OG at the Wine House. I know OG. Anyway, uh, Mr. Turner is great. Uh, Mike Lee, of course, always knocks it out of the park. Great performance from Timothy Spall. Really, kind of a bit of a crowning achievement for him. He's just ornery. He, he's almost a little too unlikable for me to really get into the film. I have to say, um, he's just totally ornery, and uh, but he's brilliant. And like a lot of geniuses, they're just a little bit crazy. And Spall does straddle that line, although, again, to me, sometimes he was almost a little bit too unlikable. Anyway, great film, great cinematography, great score, and, uh, yeah, production design, too. I would definitely check out Mr. Turner. I like Mr. Turner a lot. 
He yeah. likes you. As far you know, the, the mumbling, a lot of people ripped on the mumbling. He won Best Actor at Cannes for this, and a lot of people rip on the mumbling. But, you know, it's not like he's... If you want a mumbling performance, Ray Fiennes in Spider, in Cronenberg's Spider, that is a mumbling performance. I understood just about everything Mr. Turner says here. I, he's, not, he's not mumbling imperceptibly. He's just a gravelly, grovelly, old kind of cockney British guy. But... You know, Ray Fiennes in Spider. If you remember Spider, did you I, see Spider? I, I saw that in Cannes. Yeah, Ray Fiennes just goes through the whole movie going. Yes, he does. There's not, there's not a single perceptible word that comes out of his mouth. So uh, I, I cut him some slack. Um, Kenny, Kenny thought this was the best film of the year. That's crazy. That was weird. I didn't think it was like the best film. No, of the but year. you know, it's good. Uh, Black Sea, baby. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. It's not perfect, but uh, it's a pretty great thriller. Jude Law. Uh, in a movie, the director is Kevin McDonald, who did The Last King of Scotland and a lot of other great stuff. Um, the uh, and Into the Void, that really cool kind of do- quasi documentary recreation of the mountain climbers, uh, their survival ordeal. Uh, Kevin McDonald's a really sharp director, and uh, this is here's the, here's the deal here. So um, it's such a smart thriller, one of the best submarine movies I've seen in a very long time. Got to be honest with you, smart pl- smart script and everything else. So uh, Jude Law is a guy who's just been shafted by his uh, salvage company. He works for this, like, uh, deep-sea salvage company, and he's just been shafted by them. And as a way of uh, getting back, he signs on to captain this uh, – uh, how, would you, how would you put it? It's, it's uh, basically this – it's like a soldier of fortune effort to take a submarine into the Black Sea where there's a cache of gold – that was sunk around the time in a U-boat around the time of World War II. Okay, and there's a whole political bit of intrigue that goes in around this thing, you know, the, between Stalin and Hitler and where the gold went. And for all these geopolitical reasons, everybody wants the gold, but nobody can actually send an official uh, expedition to go get it. So this is this kind of underground expedition. These soldiers of fortune. It's it's very mercenary. And Jude Law is the guy who sort of got to oversee this uh, this expedition. Enter all kinds of great twists, turns, double crosses, all this kind of stuff. It's very Das Bodhi, though. It's very Das Bodhi. That's good. And it does not go where you think it's going to go. Uh, we were talking about Ben Mendelsohn, how uh, I had mentioned that everybody in uh, Australia is like, uh, all the men at least are all just screamingly hot and sexy except for Ben Mendelsohn, who always plays crazed, evil psychos. He's awesome. He's so good. He's so good. Um, anyway, he plays an evil, crazed psycho here too. He's just, he, he's the guy, you know how every time there's a, all these movies, tell me that this isn't a total movie cliche, but I love it anyway. Every time there's a movie about somebody who has to put a team together, whether it's a platoon or an expedition or whatever it is, got to put a team of guys together. There's always one guy on that team who you just know from the first day that guy's going to be trouble. He's going to screw the whole thing up. Why did you even put him on the team? Like he's he's insubordinate. He's insulting. He's picking fights with the other guys. He clearly is in it for you know personal gain on a level. He'll betray anyone. Ben Mendelsohn is that guy. As soon as these guys get in that submarine, you just look at him. And you're like, if it weren't I like I because I because it's Ben Mendelsohn, I already know he's going to be trouble. But even if he weren't, why did you put that guy on the team? Leave him, leave him back. Leave him on the docks. You don't need him. He's going to mess everything up. Sure does. Wait, look. Here's the thing. Yeah. No one cares about that. I know. All we care about is whether uh, when are we going to go see Mad Max? Oh my gosh! I got I got to put the call in tomorrow. I do. I've got a call. Yeah, in but March. it's May 5th. It doesn't come out until May 15th. I know, but I'm on I'm on radio with Tim that day. Tim and I are on NPR. 
And that's like literally the first movie we have to talk about. So, you know, I've got to. Okay, I gotta, you're, you're not calling them to check up on it because it's the first movie you're talking about. I need about a daytime screening. I need a daytime you're, screening. You're calling them because you, like me, are are salivating about <laughs> to explode true. until we see that effing <laughs> yeah, movie because it. it's going to be so it, it better be it. good you know I but the only thing it. i can say is this the last time the last time i plots over plots over a trailer <laughs> was uh um prometheus and that didn't turn out too well no but how many times have you watched the fury road trailer so be good. honest be honest how many times have you watched that trailer probably four to six. Oh, really that's yeah. it how many oh, times am I supposed to watch it? Jeez, I, I, I burned four th- through it four or six times in the first 15 minutes. <laughs> I work for a living. <laughs> so, so do I. I stayed up, I stay up late at nights watching that trailer. And I send emails to people, you got to watch this trailer. I'm, there, I'm a better publicist than anybody at Warner's for that movie. I cannot wait for that movie. Oh, I cannot wait. It better be good. It better be good. Seriously, you know what? People will die because I'll kill them. If that movie's not good. <laughs> It'll be so upsetting. But they already have everything signed up for ne- another two films. They do. Well, they're all, they're that all, doesn't mean they're going to make another yeah, two films. But. Anyway. Uh, and then we also have Miss Julie uh, with uh, Jessica Chastain. This is uh, a, a very uh, – look, like we need another one of these adaptations of Miss Julie, the, the Chekhov, the famous work by Chekhov. Um, I, uh, this, this one's written and directed by Liv Ullman. And uh, we oh, she, she, she's a barrel of laughs. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like Liv Ullman, like many Swedish filmmakers of her era, including Ingmar Bergman, is very dour. And, and when you're doing Chekhov, who's already dour, I don't know that you need it more dour. Yeah, Mike, but Sulu's a lot funnier. Yeah. Mike Figgis, thank you. Mike Figgis did, I think, a, a better Miss Julie, but uh, this is fine. I, I, I mean, I love Jessica Chastain. I love Colin Farrell. I love Samantha Morton. Uh, and the material you you almost can't go wrong with, but man, it is just it's it's heavy and brooding on a level that is almost oppressive, which is why it's unfortunate that Lionsgate did not put this out on Blu-ray because I think a Blu-ray release of this might have made the movie given it a better feel at home. As it is, anybody's going to watch this on DVD. The DVD the the colors are more desaturated. It feels a little weightier, a little older, a little less cinematic. Uh, this is one of those rare cases where I would say, you know what? It really does suffer for being on DVD and not Blu-ray. So that's unfortunate. Still, Miss Julie, if you're if you're a checkup completist and you have to see every version of this thing that's ever been filmed, this is you know then you're going to do it regardless of what I say. I know I'm a checkup completist. It's unbelievable. And then spare parts uh, is a. This is really a curious thing you know the i there was a documentary about these kids um the uh the the this famous story of these kids in uh this high school who you know it was an all a school primarily of kids who were all either illegal immigrants or they were the children of illegal immigrants and how they entered this competition this um to basically build these you know these underwater contraptions these underwater inventions and they're competing against MIT and these elite colleges and they eventually wind up winning and it's this amazing kind of stand and deliver story uh that really is exceptional um and, however the the docu- I thought the documentary would kind of give birth to a bigger more elaborate film um but they made a straight-to-video thing out of it called Spare Parts. And uh, it's not as great as the documentary. Uh, it really deserves a better movie. This is uh, – it's fine. It's got a decent cast, Marissa Tomei and George Lopez, Jamie Lee Curtis. But it's not it, – this is not the movie that the documentary deserved. Uh, so I, I hate to say, I, I kind of feel like they missed a huge opportunity to really – 
really do something great. So um, that being said, anyway. Uh, but if you want to see the uh, if you want to see the story uh, done dramatic style, go ahead and see Spare Parts by Lionsgate. Wait, I'm going to go ahead and uh, make a uh, recommendation here, Wade, because that's do what it. we do. Richard Legravenet is the guy who wrote uh, The Fisher King. Yep. Right. Very talented uh, young man. Not young anymore. The last five years is the story of a romance told almost completely through song. And you've got Anna Kendrick, right? Yep. She's moderately delicious. Mm-hmm. And some, uh, some uh, handsome guy, Jeremy Jordan, who's pretty good, too. He looks like that kid from Twilight. Sure. Uh, Taylor Lautner, but screw Taylor Lautner. He's an idiot. Yep. Um, it's about he, – he's a, um, it's a novelist who falls in love with, a, with an actress. And it's totally – it's not perfect. And I don't – and I don't – the songs didn't grab me as much as they grabbed me in Once and Can a Song Save Your Life? Which are the two films that this sort of most, you know, resembles? Sure. But I have to say, uh, Kendrick has a good voice, and she's terrific, and it's, uh, you know, I think it's a cool little movie. It's a definitely an interesting little film. Again, if you've never seen, if you've never seen a sung through film, uh, this may not be the best place to start, but it's a place to start. The last five years. Sweet. And the Gravenace obviously is very talented. Um, next, we have the, we have a terrible comedy called uh, A Few Best Men. This stars Rebel Wilson and Olivia Newton-John. This is uh, it's just frantic and gross and not funny. And I'm not even going to talk about it because I just actually I stopped watching it because it was too stupid. Um, yeah, so forget that. New Best okay. Men, uh, the few, A Few Best Men. Pass on that. Um, I didn't want to watch Murder of a Cat because I love cats, and I don't want them to be hurt. <laughs> but the good thing is that it has Greg Kinnear, Nikki Reed, and J.K. Simmons. By the way, J.K. Simmons. So get this. Yeah. I have a J.K. Simmons story. Okay. Never met J.K. Simmons. But, uh, so but, but I, Phil looks like J.K. Simmons. So you, you, when you hang out with Phil, you kind of feel like you're— You know what? I never thought of that. <laughs> oh, jeez. So J.K. Simmons uh, uh, lives in a, a an area here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And um, he lives on the same block as the woman who plays bass for the band I'm in. Mark, you're in a band? Yes, I'm in a band. We're terrible, but we have fun. Anyway, so the street that this bass player and J.K. Simmons live on is a cul-de-sac. It's not a cul-de-sac. It's a dead end. And J.K., I guess, is just the coolest neighbor in the world. He's totally awesome. And last Halloween, this is just a story, means, means nothing. Last Halloween, actually every Halloween, they cordon off this dead-end street, and they have a block party for Halloween. And all the people on the block, they dress obviously up in costumes. They walk up and down just that one dead-end block. And there's always a band, and everyone goes into each other's homes because everybody knows each other on this little, little dead-end street. And, of course, J.K. is there, too, with his wife. Well, last year, it was very exciting. Last year, J.K. couldn't be there because he was starting his Oscar push uh, for Whiplash. So he could not be at the uh, Halloween uh, block party on this little street. Mm -hmm. So instead, he rented uh, a taco truck and drove the taco truck to the dead-end street and everybody enjoyed free tacos thanks to JK. Nice guy. That's my story. What a man. Meanwhile, uh, Murder of a Cat Stupid. Okay. 
by the way, Greg Kinnear, I don't know what's happening to him. I just, again, I, Greg, I worked with Greg for years. One of the funniest men I've ever met. I love Greg. I, I, I feel like he's in that little weird place where yeah. I don't know what he's going to do. Get, he's going to get a sitcom next and, and disappear on a television for 12 years. I know. That's what it's feeling like. Anyway, Love, Rosie's based on a novel. Um, you know, I, I was not really a big fan of this. This seems a little bit uh, silly to me. It's Lily Collins. I like a, Lily a, Collins. a bit of an it girl right now. Um, and like Sam her. Claflin, who I... He's an it guy, which <laughs> exactly. means that when people see him, they go, what is it? Exactly. Um, anyway, so it's a little sliding doors-ish because these two folks, uh, they've known each other since they were kids, and they're best friends growing up, and then, you know... Uh, they go, go in different directions, and I won't tell you what happens because it gets very love story-ish, but um, not love story-ish like one of them dies or whatever, but just love story-ish. And uh, I just think that Lily Collins deserves better than this. I just think that she's got to pick better material. As of this kid, Sam Claflin, uh, he, doesn't, he didn't really do much for me. So I would pass on Love, Rosie. It's based on a novel. Um, I cannot imagine reading or liking the novel, but there you go. All right, we got some docs uh, to get through uh, real quickly here. Docs and uh, maybe a few other things, maybe some British television before this, uh, we run out of time. Uh, from the good people at Sisu Home Entertainment, which primarily does uh, Jewish-themed material, uh, we have an interesting uh, thing here from uh, Eli Wiesel. Great figures of the Bible, legends and legacies of our biblical hero- heroes. And, and most of the time when these Heroes of the Bible DVDs come out, they're usually very, very, they're from very overtly faith-based organizations. Not a bad thing, but they're, they usually have this very kind of Sunday schoolish approach to them. David did this, and Jonah did this, and then the whale. And Jonah Hill? Exactly. Um, but Eli Wiesel is, uh, is no intellectual slouch, and he, uh, because he is uh, this, he basically godfathers this, uh, you know, he it puts his name on it as it presents. He takes a very interesting kind of scholarly approach to all of this. So it's um, it's really interesting with the, the you know, the reenactments are, are, are pretty decent. And uh, the the whole kind of um, the whole scholarly approach to analyzing it is is really quite enjoyable. So it'll you know you feel like you're seeing it the first time again, or if not the first time, at least getting a fresh perspective. Uh, so anyway, you obviously get uh, Adam and Eve, story of Cain and Abel, Abraham and and uh, Isaac, uh, Job, Moses, and uh, King David. Uh, so it's uh, you know if if this is your thing, if uh, ancient biblical history is something that uh, hits your fancy, I do recommend this. Also, we have a thing called Hating Obama, uh, which I think is the greatest title for a documentary ever. Uh, it, it sort of doesn't mince words. It's, it's, it, it's not like Obama and his detractors. No, it's just Hating Obama. Um, that said, that's about as, as great as this gets. It's not, it's not like a groundbreaking doc or anything like that. Uh, but it does, it does kind of want to get into it, – it does get into the whole – the animosity of the last six, seven years. And um, sort of it asks, it, it, it asks questions – I don't want to give anything away. It, 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 it doesn't ask, I, I don't think, the, the bigger questions. It sort of focuses entirely on, uh, on Obama and specifically Obama as though he's like the first president who's been subjected to just unprecedented levels of contempt and hatred, which if you've been around long enough – uh, I, honestly, I don't. I don't. I can't remember it, anyone. You know, Bush was certainly hated, and Clinton had moments of being deeply hated, and even you know, the, Reagan was deeply hated by a certain segment of the population. But I can't remember anyone since having been subjected to the kind of vitriolic loathing un- universally across the spectrum, like Richard Nixon. 
That, that, that you know, at the time, when at it was the time, Watergate. I mean, but here with that Obama, was, there's a racial component too. I'm sure there. I'm sure there is. I'm sure there's you know all kinds of different components. With Kennedy, there was certainly a Catholic component. I mean, you can't ignore that. But but Nixon, the level of hatred, and rightfully so, mind you, you know, uh, with Watergate. But it's like you know, every just being president means you're going to get hated. Oh sure. And so I would I would I would prefer the documentary look specifically at what triggers partisan hatred, you know, for the presidency so universally, as opposed to just sort of focusing specifically on Obama. That said, it's it's decent. It's okay. Um, you know, it uh, it doesn't go it doesn't dig as deeply as I would have liked it to. But it you know I'd like to know more about why are we such an unbelievably dysfunctional country? Because we are. We really are. We're just we... terribly dysfunctional. <laughs> we really are. Wade, uh, what are you doing? You talking about that? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Fire off on those Blu-rays. That's good stuff. Wade, uh, I cannot recommend enough Last Days in Vietnam. This Gosh, is so a good. great documentary. This is about the uh, last days of the Vietnam War right before the fall of Saigon. And it tells the un- unknown, untold, I guess, moderately unknown story of these American officers stationed in Saigon. And they were told only evacuate American citizens. And they decided to evacuate South uh, South Vietnamese, too. Including uh, a good friend of mine and film school buddy, Alex Liu. Wow. Who was one of those. Yep. Yep. Uh, so this is just – it's not it, – it, It's the story is not told with any visual flourish. It's not about the storytelling. Mm. It's just – it is so dramatic and so suspenseful and yeah. so profound. And I just cannot recommend enough last days in Vietnam – it's uh, it's a total must watch. You guys got you know it's a great uh, it's a great companion piece to one of one of my favorite docs of all time, Hearts and Minds. Yeah, I I agree completely. And this was Oscar nominated, did not win, but uh, boy, really really good job by uh, director Roy Kennedy. Mysteries of the Unseen World. Uh, this is uh, narrated by Forrest Whitaker. Thing with this is that it's about the unseen world, so the whole uh, Blu-ray is blank. <laughs> Can't see it. I didn't think you'd do that. Huh? You kind of got me on a. I, 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 that was an unexpected laugh moment for me. See, I there you go. Yeah, I have my you. moments. Anyway, this is all about uh, it's, it's all about stuff you can only see in a microscope. Three D. It's all it's three D. Three D. So which which is fast me, going away 3D, by the yeah, thank God. Yeah. It there there is a two D Blu-ray in the in the uh, release. There's also a three D Blu-ray. There's also a DVD, but. Yeah. I would just forget the 3D crap. Come on, people, seriously. Yeah. Um, the the photography is amazing because again, it's sort of letting you into all these microscopic organisms and what they look like and how they operate, and a lot of time lapse photography and high speed photography. Just really, really beautiful stuff. Um, so this is definitely recommended. Mysteries of the Unseen World, and finally we have a uh, cancer. You know, it seems like every seven seconds. There's another documentary about cancer and how we're that close to beating cancer. And I just, I don't know, man. The thing with cancer is that every single one is different. It is. Not, only, mean, not only is every single cancer different, but the way every single can, but a certain type of cancer, let, 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 let's say breast cancer. The way breast cancer operates in every individual person yeah. is different. It's look. Cancer is just it's a it's a scourge. It is the scourge of the world, and I'm glad Ken Burns finally turned his attention to something like this uh, because it's really it's really warranted. Yeah, I don't. I have lost. All of us have lost so many people to cancer, and I don't. It's I don't know anyone who hasn't who hasn't been just ravaged in their life through their their loved ones and their friends and. Uh, it just had cancer just just tear apart the their circle of uh, of close people and uh you know it is it is the great scourge of the world but for some reason we've all decided to sort of just accept it as a hazard of being human and we shouldn't and uh no this is this is a terrific uh terrific doc and uh i need to read the book now the emperor of all maladies i need to read that uh lost rivers is a cool doc from icarus which 
it, this is just a fascinating subject that goes into the, the, the fact that all the major cities in the world were originally built around rivers, right? I mean, that's the whole point. You, you need commerce. You need Except you Los need, Angeles. Except, well, the, the L.A. River is not really a river. But, the mighty L.A. River? <laughs> uh, that is, hey, it's showcased in Greece. We need the riverbed for the, uh, for the race scene. Uh, but anyway, the, the idea here is that, that the Industrial Revolution changed the way that cities use their rivers, that it wasn't any longer for fresh water and commerce and, and shipping, that now it was to basically just start dumping stuff. And um, it, it gets into this, uh, this, this interesting and unfortunate change in how this has changed our urban environments and uh, how it's changed the nature, the nature of, like, sewer overflow and um, and just wastewater management, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a little bit academic, but it's a really really interesting subject, and it's uh, extremely educational. So uh, good job there uh, to Icarus and the filmmaker Caroline Bakla. Caroline uh, Baklava. Bakla. Not ba- not Caroline Baklava. No, it's a French name. Okay. Uh, let's see, and just a couple more then before we cut out of here. Uh, got some British television that I should make mention of. Uh, the series New Tricks, which I have not talked about too much uh, of late, but New Tricks is uh, – this is a really smart show, really well written, uh, some really good actors on it. The, um, they came out recently with a uh, box collection uh, that includes seasons 6 through 10 so that uh, – to go with the previously released seasons 1 through 5 so that people can get uh, properly caught up on this thing, which you should really because uh, this is from uh, – the good people at Acorn, which is uh, affiliated with uh, Image these days and Robert Johnson Company. And that leads us into the uh, very impressive New Tricks Season 11. There's a reason why this show has been on the air for so long. And it's just one of these great unsolved crime, one of these unsolved cold case uh, cop shows. But unlike cold case in the U.K. Th- or in the U.S., um, this, just, uh, this just keeps getting better and better and better. And the cast just keeps you know, killing it every single time. It's so well written, and the actors just have everything down. They're really, really good. Steve, uh, Steve McAndrew, uh, Danny Griffin, uh, uh, Sasha Miller. These are really good actors, and you don't see them on a lot of other shows. So uh, definitely check this out. A lot of fun uh, uh, guest appearances as well. The classic Jewel in the Crown was recently released in a remastered uh, anniversary edition. Uh, this won an Emmy Award way back when. It, is, it came kind of on the heels of Gandhi and a lot of other stuff that was sort of uh, celebrating and commemorating the uh, rapprochement between British culture and uh, Indian culture. Uh, very awkward colonial history between the two that has since turned into kind of, you know, a, a great alliance. Uh, I mean, you know, the best Indian food on the planet is served in the U.K., and India still thrives under the British uh, legal system. So this is a a massive 14-part miniseries that still is really, really good. And uh, then The Paradise is now in Season 2. There uh, are, you know, a couple of series uh, on British television about the, uh, the growth of the department stores, the emergence of the department store phenomenon. And uh, The Paradise is not the one that is, is getting all the attention these days. We're going to talk next week about the other one. Uh, but uh, you know what? It is still really, really good and uh, classic and has all that, that whole um, uh, Downton Abbey sheen to it. And this is season two of The Paradise. Definitely worth checking out. And lastly, there's the very compelling Fortitude, which is uh, a small-town uh, murder drama set in the Arctic Circle. 
uh, in uh, this you know very small cold uh, kind of outpost. Uh, really pretty cool. Uh, Stanley Tucci is super cool. Michael Gambon, Christopher Eccleston. Uh, it, it, not just interesting because it's an unusual setting, but interesting because it's really well written and very very well directed. So um, that one should not go uh, should not slip by either. All right. With that, email us at gods at digigods.com. Send us your Vox boxes. Send us your uh, listener mails. And we will see you next week. Until then, the balcony? No. Balcony's always open with us. No. Stop.